Good morning and welcome to the Hometown Headlines newscast. Rants of the week are rants for the last five days now in one convenient file just in case you missed them. They're coming up next. Thanks for joining us. Have a safe weekend in Northwest Georgia. All right, how about our rant of the day? We'll call this one, it's always political season in Northwest Georgia. The lull barely lasted 24 hours. That's about how much time lasts between two key political developments on Thursday and Kelly Loeffler's acceptance speech Wednesday morning for that Senate seat. First came the announcement that U.S. Representative Tom Graves would not seek a new term in the House next year. That story fractured into about a dozen pieces, including number one, will he run for Johnny Isaacson's seat in November 2020 general election, actually special election there, or perhaps maybe in 2022. Also, what's really behind his decision to leave Washington, D.C., even as his stock trades pretty high among fellow lawmakers there. And, of course, the big one, who will run for his House seat, that's the District 14 congressional seat, representing much of Northwest Georgia. Just minutes after receiving the Graves announcement, here comes word that Georgia Supreme Court Justice Robert Benham will not seek only a new term. We knew he would not run from 2020, but now he decided he will resign, retire, if you will, effective on March 1st. That allows Governor Brian Kemp to make an appointment to the bench, giving whoever does get that seat a leg up on other contenders who were planning to run in November 2020. Yes, in April, Benham, a Cartersville native, announced he would not seek a new term, but that has changed. Benham is 73 and will leave, as we said, on March 1st. You almost have to feel sorry for the governor. He got one major appointment out of the way and now starts a campaign from insiders eager to get their man or their woman on the Supreme Court. Merry Merry Christmas, Governor Kemp. As if 2020 election cycle needed more drama, now we have a Supreme Court race to really top it off as well. And yet there's more. We'll use this as a lousy segue of the day, shall we say, as the one name everybody thought would be involved in that Senate appointment by the governor, that was Tom Graves. He never entered the sweepstakes, although he was among the top five people being mentioned for that post. Now he's decided not to seek re-election to the U.S. House. The AJC on Thursday, in a very quick and well-done assessment of Graves' announcement, wondered if he would run for that Senate seat being vacated by Isaacson. He was a late-to-the-party Trump fan, as Political points out this morning, so that may be a liability. Perhaps more important, and around here at least, is who runs for the 14th Congressional District seat. We're hearing the same names you are, and even checked a few wild cards of our own yesterday. The list includes a state, several state House members, city commission and school board members, lawyers, a doctor, and a business whiz. Our phone, our email, our text lines literally blew up yesterday as even long-lost political sources weighed in, and some of them quickly said, nope, don't put my name on that list. Just as interesting was the underlying premise of those calls. Each stressed that we need to have a candidate from Rome and Floyd County. Even Graves, who lives in rural Ranger in eastern Gordon County, is considered more of a Dalton guy than a Rome guy. And what about Paulding, Polk, Gordon County, all regional capitals of their own? Our guess is we'll see some elected officials very soon enter this race, even before Christmas. 
The campaign stats need to be built. And oh, by the way, someone's got to raise a lot of money. This race, by the way, alone could be more than a four to five million dollar race total with all the candidates looking at coming in here. So why is that all important? Here's the best example. The top local race in 2018 was the Republican Sheriff's primary that's set for May of next year. That's right. A race in 2020 was really the top race in 2018. Our apologies to the, apologies to the 2018 candidates, but you guys were the appetizers for Caldwell, Kilgo, and Robertson as they raced to be the Republican nominee in May. But now, with the U.S. Senate House race on the ballot and some potential dom- dominoes, potential dominoes, we'll say, due to fall if incumbents from other seats decide to jump into that House race, we have one doozy of an election year on the way. Oh yeah, and there's that presidential thing to take care of in March as well. So what's it all mean? Time to fire up that popcorn maker. We are in for a great campaign season. This is John Miller at HometownHeadlines.com thanking you for joining us today. Continuing news updates all weekend long here at HometownHeadlines.com. It's uh, time to hear from our good friend Harry Musselwhite. As always on Friday, it's time to get funky. Have a great weekend in Northwest Georgia. Okay, now it's time for our rant of the day, and we'll call this one a primary concern. Former State Senator David Schaefer's participation trophy after getting whipped in the 2018 State Republican primary by Jeff Hardball Duncan was the chairmanship of the Georgia GOP, a mostly obscure position that primarily mixes fundraising and leading party pep rallies. Schaefer and his colleagues in the GOP Executive Committee have committed what we'll call a crime against voters, at least in our personal history books. The committee has submitted just one name to include on the March 24th Republican presidential primary ballot. That name is Donald J. Trump. Who knows, maybe Schaefer has PTSD from his own primary defeat. Regardless, the AJC, The Hill, and other media report the committee received five names in all, but Schaefer and company opted to make just one nominee for you, said former Massachusetts Governor Bill Wald in a tweet, quote, Apparently, Donald Trump's bromance with Putin extends to emulating the Russians' approach to elections. The Georgia GOP just decided the Georgia Republican presidential primary ballot will have only one candidate on it, Donald Trump. What is DJT afraid of? End quote. Wald, former U.S. Representative Joe Walsh, and two other candidates were all omitted from the ballot by the committee. What they're done is legal, and it happens in other states and in other elections. But what if one of these candidates gets, quote, hot, end quote, as the saying goes in the early primaries? You know, like Donald Trump did in 2016. Do you derail a candidacy simply because you're trying to show presumed loyalty to the commander-in-chief? How about showing that same loyalty to the American election process? Isn't that what a primary is about, allowing party voters to pick their own nominee? More important, where are our Republican leaders in all of this? You know, state lawmakers, members of Congress, governor, and others. Don't they have some input with the state committee? Why haven't they spoken up? Perhaps they fear standing up to the party as it would be seen as standing up to the president. We've seen some of that in recent days, going back to Brian Kemp's pick for the next senator from Georgia, As you know, he picked Kelly Loeffler over 
Doug Collins the president's choice. Instead, the Republican Executive Committee of Georgia has denied voters the right to make a choice in March. After this, why even bother going to the polls? Also, have any of the committee members even thought about the potential fallout from the impeachment push now underway? We're pretty sure that some in the state GOP hope you'll instead pull a Democratic ballot on March 24th and vote for one of the candidates on the lower end of the spectrum there, thus trying to sabotage the Democrats' overall selection. Now, that wouldn't happen in this era of politics, would it? Yes, some will argue that you'll have an opportunity to have a write-in candidate in the primary vote as well. Maybe so. Remember, we'll be using those latest foolproof voting machines in a few months. Anyone here familiar with just exactly how they work? Yeah, I didn't think so either. No, it's a bigger issue. It's grand theft of your right to make a selection on March 24th if you choose to vote Republican. The second issue is the elected Republicans in our state, our region, and our county who are doing nothing to fix this problem before it happens. Our advice, fix them when it's their turn in their primary battles in May of next year. If they don't work for you, then why should you work for them? Who knows, maybe Schaefer and his committee will try to rig that election as well. And that, to us, is indeed a primary concern. This is John Druckermiller at HometownHeadlines.com. Thanking you for joining us today. Continuing news updates all day. On HometownHeadlines.com, as always, we open and close with the stylish renderings of Funky Druck by Harry Musselwhite. Have a great day in Northwest Georgia. Now it's time for the rant of the day, and we're going to use this one as a quote. It's not one world. That was one of Paul Harvey's greatest quotes as he tried to frame some national or world happenings that didn't quite jive with the way most people thought. That's a lot of what's happening today, these days especially, including football and politics, of all things. They have us invoking that famous quote, and here's why. Number one, Johnny Isaacson's farewell speech. Georgia's senior U.S. senator kept mostly to the topic during his final address to the colleagues and the country on Tuesday. He repeatedly stressed the need for bipartisanship and getting things done. Isaacson said party, race, and other barriers shouldn't be factors when doing the right thing for the country. He joked about folks who don't vote for him in elections and said they were not enemies, but, quote, future friends because he hoped to earn their votes in that next election. And you know what? He usually did. And yet across Washington on the very same day, we're hearing the latest on the mounting impeachment case against Donald Trump. Members of Congress were continuing to line up on either side, usually divided by party lines. Let's just deal with the facts and not party factions. Thank you very much. And in Georgia, we're not immune as we wait Brian Kemp's formal announcement Wednesday that Kelly Loeffler will take Isaacson's place in the Senate. The Republican Party stands divided. Now ask yourself, how is a party that controls the governor's office, all state-level cabinet jobs, the state house, the state senate, the Georgia Congressional Delegation, and probably every elected office here in Floyd County, how are they divided again? Sadly, Isaacson's words about working together to fix problems were mostly forgotten by the time he sat down. There are too few Johnny Isaacsons in this one world. Next, this year's college football playoff scenario, that won't involve Alabama. Please stop already with the observations that the game has packed Nick Saban by at age 68, that it's time to go, that the incredible run by one of the nation's premier college football teams is over. 
Amid all the debris on this topic on the web, one friend, a diehard Bama fan, shared this. It's how Alabama finished this decade. Consider four national titles, five SEC championships, a dominant record, winning record over Auburn, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, and LSU. That's one heck of a decade, one that any football fan would embrace for his or her own school. To get a taste of how divided fans are, we offer you two video examples. One is a great season-long parody of each week's games called SEC Shorts. The latest one shows a beaten Alabama excluded from the playoff club for the first time in five years. It is biting, and it's very funny. Then the other one is the one by Funny Maine. He does it each week. It showcases how Alabama fans watch that week's game. This week, we fully expected him to bury Alabama for its upset loss to Auburn. Instead, at the end, he thanked the players, the coaches, the fans, the band for a great season. He likewise told Alabama fans to stand down for blaming the field goal kicker for missing a key kick. That's a class act. We agree with Funny Maine. The tide will indeed rise again. And here's one more brief example for you. This one comes from the NFL. How about Tom Brady of the New England Patriots? He's not having his best season. He's 42 years old, and the court of Facebook believes he's gone the way of Peyton Manning in his final season. So here's Brady, who has led the Patriots to just about every Super Bowl in recent memory and won most of them. He adheres to an incredible health and fitness routine, He's married to a brilliant woman who's turned her modeling career into something worth millions and millions of dollars. Are these no longer fans just jealous of what Brady has and has done or are truly being football analysts? Like Saban in Alabama, we'll gladly take the decade Tom Brady is happening and wrapping up here. He's 10-2, by the way, and the Patriots are still among the favorites to go on to win this next Super Bowl. Like Paul Harvey said, it's not one world. We're fine with differing opinions. Heck, we encourage them. But remind the doomsayers out there to mix in a little bit of objectivity before jumping off the bandwagon. And now you know the rest of the story. Good day. Take it away, Harry Musselwhite. Okay, how about the rant of the day? Is it too early to talk Black Friday 2020? Congratulations on surviving the retail blitz of 2019. Any cash you have left today is being sought by a growing number of open palms taking part in what's called Giving Tuesday. You've weathered Black Friday, which began on Thanksgiving Day for many, or in some cases, even back in October. And then there was Small Business Saturday's push where you were asked to shop with your neighbors and not at the big box stores. Next up was Cyber Monday, although it looks like billions were being spent online and not in line on Black Friday. There was something else in there, too. Oh, yeah, the first Sunday of Advent. Ask your preacher about that. He or she probably were the only ones talking about the reason for the season this past Sunday. So you've conquered the doorbusters, you've sipped the complimentary mimosas, you've grabbed a deal or so on Broad Street and spent much, much too much time online at work on Monday, assigning your future paychecks to online purchases that should be arriving now from Amazon and dozens of others any day. So here's a thought while you catch your breath. There's a very good chance that Black Friday and Small Business Saturday in 2020 will be a lot different than they were this year. 
The players to be named later at East Bend, the new retail center rising on the remnants of Kmart. You know, the place where you used to have Christmas layaways and that kind of thing. It's gone now. East Bend is on the way. It promises 20 to 28 new retailers and restaurants probably by October 2020. So far, the only public confirmations are restaurants, but even they sell gift cards. So there's a start on your holiday shopping for Black Friday 2020. We're not going to see a lot of retailers that already draw your dollars out of Floyd County. We don't think Target's on the way. Kohl's could be, Old Navy as well. Academy Sports could be a contender likewise. Probably, though, we'll see some mid-sized retailers such as Bed Bath & Beyond and a few others there as well. Whatever the lineup, the stores will command part of your t- Christmas 2020 shopping whether it be on Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, or the time you kill on your lunch break. The average trip to Panda Express, one of the East Bend restaurants on the way, takes around 20 minutes, so there's 40 minutes of time for a store or two to visit while at East Bend. And while we don't see these stores keeping even a tenth of the $100 million that apparently flows up and down I-75 coming right out of Floyd County every year, they will be changing our buying habits. Will that mean Broad Street takes a hit or the stores that remain at Mount Berry Mall? We'll know in 12 months. We realize our shopping habits have been changing, and we don't mean online. That monster, by the way, already is a major player and will only increase. No, by change, we mean going back maybe five or four years when we still had Sears and Kmart in the market. And a few more years back, don't forget, we had even more players, Circuit City and World High Five. All gone now. And more change could be on the way. On today's Hometown Headlines, we'll have an update for you on leasing options now available at the former Toys R Us store. The folks who own the mall are advertising that Art art Out Parcel, thank you, for lease, as well as those in other days. Those mall owners, that's Hall Property Group, have promised major changes at Mount Berry for more than two years. The city commission even put some extra candy in their stocking, something they call a tad. So what has happened to all that in the past 24 months? After all, those stories were making headlines in December 2017. To quote the late Ted Knight straight from Caddyshack, the quote is this, Well, we're waiting The big question here is, can Rome support two large retail centers, a potentially revitalized mall and East Bend? We've been keeping two Walmarts buzzing now for a number of years, as well as Sam, so maybe we can. For now, our Christmas shopping habits are set, with changes coming by late fall 2020. Until then, we'll have to wait and see, and perhaps entertain ourselves with the bounty of gifts we find under the Christmas tree this year. One of our goals this holiday season is to see how to get some of those gifts, likely Amazon's Alexa, maybe a new iPhone with its own brand new Siri, and a just-unpacked desktop computer complete with a Cortana, into some sort of a debate involving all this artificial intelligence. It certainly would make more sense than some of the Sunday morning political TV shows. This is John Drucker-Miller with HometownHeadlines.com, thanking you for joining us today. Continuing updates all day on the website, including any late changes for the Christmas parade again tonight, 6.30 p.m. We'll have those updates for you all day long. We'll close out now with the stylish renderings of Funky Druck from our good friend Harry Musselwhite. Have a great day in Northwest Georgia. All right, our rant of the day, we'll call this one, There's a Reason They Call Him Governor. 
In addition to the world's greatest audience and the paychecks, the things we miss the most about our radio gig are many of our guests. Among the top five over eight years were the repeat customers known as Johnny Isaacson and Brian Kemp. Both brought energy, opinion, introspective, and they had some amusing answers to our less than amusing questions. Were we behind the radio microphone this morning, you'd be hearing from Brian Kemp. The reason is the bedlam behind the pending appointment of Johnny Isaacson's replacement in the U.S. Senate, an official announcement that is due later this week, but the news already is out. Kemp will pick Kelly Loeffler, a financial executive with conservative leanings. Trump, Donald Trump, we should say, who met with Kemp more than a week ago, instead favors U.S. Representative Doug Collins out of Gainesville. Collins, much like Georgia's other U.S. Senator, David Perdue, is in lockstep with Trump. Kemp sees Loeffler as a candidate who can win and who can bridge a widening gap between state Republicans and women voters. His close race with Deborah, with uh, Democrat Stacey Abram revealed just how wide that gap is, and by the way, that gap is not closing. Trump supporters are applying pressure and threatening to run a candidate next November to fill the final two years of Isaacson's term. And there are hints that Kemp will now draw a challenger in his re-election bid in 2022. And they remind him that Trump's endorsement sealed his win over presumed favorite Casey Cagle in the GOP primary runoff in 2018. That contest, by the way, basically was decided before Trump's late-in-the-race blessing, but yes, it was frosting on a proverbial cake. On Friday, the AJC plainly stated Kemp had made his choice and it was going to be Loeffler. Kemp, responding to social media criticism, said it was his choice to make and that he was going to ignore the so-called political establishment, to which we say, bravo. Kemp is governor. He knows the state better than most. He masterminded a gubernatorial campaign that defeated the presumed heir to the crown of Nathan Deal and then withstood a furious charge from an expertly orchestrated campaign by Stacey Abramson's. He won Brian Kemp, not Donald Trump, not Doug Collins. This is Brian Kemp's decision to make, and Trump and his supporters need to realize that and back off. And now, the reason, it shows bad leadership on the part of the commander-in-chief. A wise leader trusts his people to do the right thing. In this case, Kemp is the expert on Georgia. Two years ago, few saw Kemp as the next occupant of the governor's mansion. Last night, he and his wife, Marty, welcomed the state into that mansion to celebrate the start of the Christmas season. Kemp, while part of the Republican mainstream, is doing what he thinks is right for his party and for his state. He's the one with the proverbial boots on the ground. He's the one with the state's best interests before him. Let him do as his title says, govern. Just because another political candidate basically shines the president's size 12 shoes doesn't make him the best person for one of the top 100 positions in the country. Since when does someone being a, quote, loyalist, end quote, Put them as the top candidate for holding office. A good manager wants someone who is going to give him or her an honest assessment, not a quick nod of approval. Trust us, we've seen yes-men doom several local media properties in recent years. Brian Kemp is facing the real first hurdle of his administration, one that has been created by members of his own party and not the resurgent Democratic Party. He's had to make a tough call, and he's taken the blowback head-on. Kemp reminds us of another Georgian who has made a career of doing the right thing, even if it doesn't sit well with all those on the so-called right. 
that man was. No, that man is Johnny Isaacson. We thank Johnny Isaacson for always putting Georgia first, and we applaud Governor Brian Kemp for doing so as well. This is John Druckermiller of HometownHeadlines.com. Thanking you for joining us today, continuing news updates all day on the website. Please join us there. We open and close, as we always do, with the stylish renderings of Funky Druck from Harry Musselwhite. Have a great Monday in Northwest Georgia.